Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is from Psalm 120 and Psalm 134. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you and what more besides, you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Psalm 134. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. He who is the maker of heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest as the rest of us are seated. Thank you, Chelsea, for that reading. My name is Daniel Long, and I'm a pastor here at Grace. So we're in this series called Seven Psalms, Seven Signs, where each week we're picking either a sign from John or a psalm and talking about how God reveals himself to us through Jesus and then maybe what a psalm says about our life with God. This morning I'm totally cheating because I want to talk about 15 psalms. So, um, and the reason I want to talk about 15 psalms is because I want to talk about this collection in the Psalter called the Songs of Ascent. Now, it's from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And I want to talk kind of about maybe what that might show us, about what life with God would look like. But before that, I have a question for you, or two questions. And this is the question. So this is for the Christian. The top one's for, for those of you who, who would consider yourself someone who's following Jesus. And is the Christian life what you imagined it would be? So as you think about your Christian life now, and how you've lived it, where you find yourself, is it what you imagined it would be when you became a Christian, when you identified yourself with Jesus? Now for those of you who might not be on the journey with God, or consider yourself a Christian, what do you imagine the Christian life to be like? And that's the question for you. What do you imagine the Christian life to be like? Or, if you've been walking with Jesus... Is the Christian life what you imagined it would be? Now, I've been thinking about this question, and I've been thinking about my own life, um, and I don't really know. I was trying to think, what did I imagine it would be? So just a little bit of my story. I I grew up not really in a Christian home. Uh, There was a period of time when I was young, and my my dad became a Christian, um, and he is now, but there was a period of time when he wasn't really walking with Jesus, and he decided to send me to a Christian school, uh, which is great. And I always make this joke that I'm like one of the 10% for whom Christian school is a good idea. Um, And 
because it was an incredible, it was incredible for me. But it was really interesting. I think it was there that I began to kind of connect with, with Christianity, but not the ideas about Christianity. Um, my life with my family was less than stable, uh, and a lot of it was fractured and really confusing. So what appealed to me about Christianity was this idea of family, was this idea of, of people connecting themselves together and being committed to one another for a long period of time, and that they would, they would live in something like a stable, kind of connected um, family life or way of being. That really appealed to me. But there's this sense when you're young, and I speak to those who are young, and I wonder if you have this experience, when, when people are talking to you about Christianity, one of the things, and whether they say this or not, for me it was true, one of the things I believed was that to be a Christian meant life would be easy and life would be awesome. I mean, why wouldn't it be, right? This is the best thing that has ever happened, Jesus Christ. Well, you only have to live for two minutes to realize that there seems to be like this, this dissonance between following Jesus, which is supposed to make sense of the whole world, and yet still being confused or disenchanted and, and disoriented. And that was a lot of my growing up. But I was still connected to this thing called faith. And I couldn't help but be, because of, of what I saw and how people were together. Um, my dad came back to following Jesus, and we started going to this church. And I was connected to, this, to the family of God in, in, in this in community, and it was really incredible and remarkable. And, and it, was, it was so interesting to see this, this, again, this thing that seemed so beautiful in contrast to what I was experiencing in most of my life, at least at home. Um, and, but I loved it, and I fell in love with it, and I couldn't get enough of it. I mean, I was like the guy who was involved in everything um, and wanted to do everything. And, but here's the thing. Like, what it kept me connected, I think, to Jesus was not sermons. I can't remember. I was trying to think about that. Like, in youth group, do I remember a sermon? No, but I remember the bad jokes. Um, <laughs> because my youth pastor would say them over and over again. I just didn't understand that. I was like, well, they're bad the first time. They're always going to be bad. But like, when I think back to my, to my time as a high schooler, what I remember were people who loved me. What I remember were people who were with me, stayed connected to me, and were always constantly making themselves known to be for me. That's what I remember, and that's what kept me connected through high school. Then you get into college, and there's this whole fear thing, right? You go into college, and you don't, if you don't go to a Christian school, when you're going to probably, you might lose your faith. If, it, it, beware, because there are a lot of bad things. I didn't have a lot of Christian friends, actually, in college. I was connected. I was a film student. Um, that, that is like Babylon. And so, I, um, and so I, but what I did have was a Christian community that I discovered and that I found 
and that I was connected to. That, again, began to make sense, help me make sense, of what mattered most to me and where I feel like my identity was to be found. And again, it was the people and it was the love over and above the doctrine and ideas. Those things are so important, absolutely. But those things need to be fleshed out through human lives and with other people. And they were, thanks be to God. But then, in, in college, things happen. Experience the tragedy of death, touching closely to my life, um, and then experiencing some doubt a little bit. And you kind of fast forward, and that stuff kind of, if you, as you get older, I feel like that stuff only increases. People, you continue to lose people you, by death, by fracturing of relationships. You continue to live life and you continue to acquire doubt. It's just something that I think happens, or at least it does in the journey of faith and life with God. So if you're there, you're fine. But all throughout this time in my experience and what my Christian life was, totally different from what I imagined it to be, right? What I had constantly were moments and parts of the story where I can look back and realize or recognize God's activity in my life. Like if you were to see, if you were to have a glimpse of what my life was when I was a child and probably into middle school and what things were like for me, I don't think, you, I think you would say, how did you, how, what happened? How, how is your life the way it is now? And the only way I can make sense of my life is by the grace of God. And the thing that's kept me, that's, I think, held my faith together, is that I've connected myself with people who can only make sense of their lives by the grace of God. And I think that is kind of what holds us together in this life of faith and in journey with God. So why that introduction? Because as we go into the Song of Ascents, here are 15 psalms that were quite possibly used by the people of Israel to be sung on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem to the temple. So these 15 psalms, the people of God would sing, and in some ways it would rehearse their story as they went to the temple to worship God. And there were three main pilgrimage, pilgrimages that the people of Israel would take. There would be the Passover feast, right? Remembering when God rescued them from Israel. There'd be the feast of Pentecost, in which they would, they would give God praise and thanks for the new harvest, for the first fruits. And then there would be this feast of tabernacles, which was to remember their wanderings in the desert and when only God was the one who provided for their every need. Now what's incredible, I think, about this, these pilgrimages and these psalms is that they're continuously praising moments in their life for where they encountered God's activity. Right? They look back on their story, and they're commemorating these moments where their life as a people can only make sense because of what God 
has done. And so that's why these songs of ascent, I think they're so important. And I offer them to you, and I encourage you to go read them with that in mind. What were they thinking about? What were they rehearsing? What were they trying to remind themselves of? What were they praising God for? And if we think about that in the context of our life as Christians, I mean, it brings to mind the importance, really, of, of worship together. And that is what we are doing. And it also begs the question, how are we remembering the activity of God in our lives? What are those places in our lives where we're marking down moments when we have seen the footprints of God touch down in our very stories? It is so essential to faith. And I think it's one of the things that keeps us up. And it's not an individual reality, but it's actually a corporate and a communal reality. So these 15 psalms, as I said, they were sung for three pilgrimages and they have these moments where it is honest with life. Now, I'm just going to highlight a few. If you want to turn there, go for it. But, you, but no pressure. But as we, see, as we see in Psalm 120, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later, we see this, the psalmist is, is making a kind of a turn to God. And then there are these moments of trust all throughout these psalms of ascent. If you, it, Psalm 121, right? It begins with, my help comes from the Lord. If you were to look at Psalm 124, 8... Again, our help is in the name of the Lord. Psalm 126.3, the Lord has done great things for us. Psalm 131.3, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. I mean, that, I'm going to read that again. That image is really beautiful. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child... I am content. This really intimate moment between like a child and a mother of just utter satisfaction and nourishment. David is, is, is suggesting that, that life with God is like that. Right? That, that God is the one who nourishes and satisfies. So you see in this pilgrimage, right, in the life with God, in the Christian life, there are these moments of trust. But then there are also moments in which you need to be honest and you need to lament, because life isn't going the way that you imagined it would. And the Psalms, again, give us language with how to interact with these types of moments. Psalm 129.1, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, let Israel say, remembering these moments when they were oppressed, when they were in lament toward God. Psalm 130, verse 1, out of the depths I cry to you. Lord, hear my voice. I mean, do you have those moments in your life as you're walking with Jesus where you feel like you're in the depths? You are in a pit and there is no way out. And the only thing left that you can do is cry. Is that where you are now? In the depths, crying to God. And does that kind of disorient you in terms of how do you think about that with the Christian life? Where are you in the Christian life? Well, God is with you. Cry out to him. He will listen. But as in any life, as in any journey, 
There are moments of ordinariness, which I think these psalms give us language for, and how to, how to consider them in prayer before God. Psalm 127 and 128 talk about children and marriage and food. It says this in Psalm 127, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. In Psalm 128, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. And he begins to talk about marriage. I mean, it's just this idea, and I think that's why I love the Songs of Ascent, is that nothing, nothing is outside of, of life with God. It is all kind of included and part of what it means to live life with God. And it means that you have the peaks of the trust of, oh, I turn my eyes to you, of course. It means that you have the absolute valleys of out of the depths I cry to you. And it means that there's just moments of ordinariness. Where you're eating, where you're being married, where you're having children, where you're engaging friendship. That the Christian life isn't one piece of it, right? But it's all-inclusive. It involves all of it. And imagine these people of God, as they're making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship God, they're, just, they're rehearsing their, their entire lives and how it's all connected and part of the journey. Do you consider your life with God as a journey? Or is it one moment, and there it is, and that defines everything? But is it an actual journey? And I wonder if we had the idea or the metaphor of a journey of our life with God as journey, if it might actually be helpful in helping us consider how all of this and what we are doing is part of our life with God. Eugene Peterson offers helpful language for this. And he has an incredible book on the Songs of Ascent, actually. It's called The Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which I encourage you to read. But he uses these, this metaphor of a pilgrim versus tourist. That a lot of our Christian life, we live as if we're a tourist. And he says this, religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion, the Christian life, is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. There's a passion for the immediate and the casual. Tourism, if you've ever been a tourist, I mean, what do you do? You write a list down of all the things you want to see, and you go see them, and they're, they're either awesome or they're kind of a disappointment, but either way, like, the goal is to kind of check those things off and you're good, and the trip was, a, was successful or a failure based on the things that you were able to see. I mean, that's not enti- I mean, I know that there's some nuance there, but the idea of being a tourist is an idea of going to an attractive site. And I wonder if as a tourist, as a, or being a tourist as a Christian, is this idea that I want to follow Jesus so that I can have those peaks. That my faith is actually not something to be lived out, not a journey to take, but rather something that might give me access to some sort of self-fulfillment and, and incredibly high moments, but nothing other than that. Because then when there are low moments then the whole thing is called into question. And Eugene Peterson puts that, the tourism mindset, in contrast 
to being a pilgrim. This idea of being on a journey, and not just by yourself, but with other people. This idea of a relationship with God is something to be taken and to be moved toward, and to be walked over a long period of time. And that on the way toward God, you begin to discover things about him and about yourself and about the people around you. That that is what life with God is to be like. And the songs of ascent offer us a picture of life with God that might look something like that. But what are some of the things that might get in the way of being a pilgrim or having a pilgrim mindset? Like what are some of the things that might move us more toward being something like a tourist? Well, I think there's this one sense of, of finding myself at the center of the story. Now, a pilgrim says, I am not the center of the story, but I am actually going to somewhere. I am making my way towards something and with other people. Whereas a tourist says, no, I get to define what I am going to experience and what I am going to deem success or failure. There's a self-centered mindset when it comes to life with God that I think can get in the way of what it actually looks like to journey toward Jesus. But there's this, also this sense, and I feel this, this temptation toward efficiency. Do you ever feel like life with God is just taking you nowhere? Do you ever feel like life with God is, is just taking way too long, that you're still the same person you feel like you were, and what is the deal? You're still impatient with your kids. I'm not. I'm perfect. Um, you, you're still, you still like are, are tempted in certain ways. You're still angry. There's still these things inside of you that you just wish weren't there. And shouldn't they be gone already? Because I am a Christian. But a pilgrim mindset in life with God suggests that if life with God is a journey then things begin to happen over time. And I think I can get into the temptation that, well, I became a Christian then, so it was all taken care of and it was all done then in terms of my character and my virtue. And so there's discouragement. There's even doubt on where am I? Am I even a part of this thing? But to have a pilgrim mindset is to journey toward God is to actually open yourself up to the possibility that you are being shaped along the way. And that all throughout it, God is with you in the process and in the journey. And that to be different now as a 36-year-old than I was when I would say I, I put my trust in Jesus probably somewhere around seven or eight I mean, of course, as a 36-year-old, I am being opened up to new things, new areas, new places in my life where God needs to work, where that wasn't the case when I was eight. And so there's this reality of life with God that is over a lifetime. Marilyn Robinson, she's an author, one of my favorites, she has this amazing quote, and it's about writing. She talks, she, and I can't even remember where it was. I was trying to locate it so I can give you access to where it was. Um, but she says something, she was giving advice to her students, and she's like, I often ask my students, do you want to write? Or do you just simply want to have written something? Because they're two different things. Do you want to write, 
Or do you just want to have written something? And by that, I take it to mean, do you want to go through the process of actually putting words on a page where it's going to look awful and terrible and you're going to have to shape and you're going to have to make better and over time it's going to come up to something close to what you thought it would be? Do you want to go through that process which is long and tiring and annoying and constantly confronts you with your limitations? Or do you just want to get on the other side of all that and have a book and put your name on it and there you go? Because you can't have one without the other. You need to go through the work and the process. And when I think about the Christian life, I think that is where we find ourselves, is in that journey. As we're moving toward God, we're constantly confronted with things that we need to bring before God. But the good news is, and the songs of ascent, I think, point us to that news, is that our focus is to be directed toward God. That our identity and the fact that we actually get to take a journey is because of what God has done in Jesus, which already defines you. And the process of life is one in which you are com- becoming continually shaped in a way that God has begun because of what he's done in Jesus. So our life is journey. Eugene Peterson says it this way. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Man, I read that quote and I'm like, yep, guilty as charged. Uh, because I'm, there's some key words, right? Like, like acquisition or key phrases, acquisition of virtue, long apprenticeship, which suggests that it's over time with Jesus that we are actually being made new. I mean, is, do you view the Christian life that way? Do you view it as something that has, been, that has begun because of Jesus Christ, but it takes a lifetime, an entire life, to move toward and to be shaped into. And that is a long obedience in the same direction. That is patience. That is not, I am the center of the story. It's that, that I have been given a story by the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am called to live into that story and to continually be aware of when I'm living out of a different story so that I may be shaped to live into the true narrative of my life. Now, if you want, you can turn to Psalm 120. I just want to take a, a look at a couple things there. And I had us read the beginning, or I had Chelsea read Psalm 120 and Psalm 134, because I think there's an interesting question. You can tell a lot from beginnings and endings, right? Um, Because you have this Psalm 120 that begins with, In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. And then you have the ending of the songs of ascent in which they are praising God. So how do you go from 120 to 134? You go there by living life, with the truth that God is living life with you, I think. 
So in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. I mean, doesn't the journey of, Christian, of, of the Christian life begin with a cry for help? Isn't that where our journey with Jesus begins? A cry for help with a recognition that I, that we, need deliverance. Deliver me, O Lord. But deliver me from lying tongues, from deceitful tongue, from lying lips. Why lying? Well, I wonder if it has something to do with this reality that a yes to God and a yes to the truth, the way, the truth, and the life that is found in Jesus is a no to every other truth and way of life that we might be seeking. I mean, isn't the Christian life saying yes to God? Yes to your identity as it has been given to you by Jesus, that you have been named a child of God. Yes to that truth. Yes to the reality that you have been given life and no to the one that says, I can make my own life. Yes to the truth that because of Jesus Christ, you are found worthy. And no to the lie that says you have no business here. Yes to the truth that you have been given a story and a future and a way of life that actually looks something like kindness and gentleness and patience and love and self-control and no to all the other versions of life that say, just do what you want to do. It doesn't really matter. What you do doesn't affect anybody else. I mean, the beginning of the Christian life begins with a yes to God. Deliver me, O Lord, and a no to all the lies that we live out of all the time. And it's not just a one-time deal. As you live, you will, be, you will find new things to say no to. But as you live, hopefully the thing that you, or the person that you need to say yes to becomes more and more beautiful and compelling, and that is Jesus. So Psalm 120 in the Songs of Ascent, these songs that offer what it means to have language, to live a life and a journey with God, begins with a yes to God. And a no to all the other things that we think give us life and are the way. But if you turn to Psalm 134, where does it end? Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. The end of the story, the end of a journey with God is praise. That is, that is our trajectory. That is the future that we are headed toward. And if you consider the end of Scripture in Revelation 21, that is precisely what is going on, is that we are a people who, because of what God has done in Jesus, and because God is the one who holds the end of the story, that it's already said and done, we are going to be people who, above all things, praise him. 
because he has made all things new. Revelation 21 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the place, presence of God, coming to us, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Amen. Like our life with God. Yes, amen. I mean, that is, that is the future that is to inform our present. That future of where we are headed is the future that we will be praising because all things have been made new. And that is where our journey is headed. In Colossians it said, if you are with Jesus, your life is hidden with Christ in God. That that is what's true of you. And because that is true, that future that is spoken of in Revelation is your future. Now, I started with the question of what you expected your Christian life to be like. And I talked about my doubt. And, and I talked about things of being difficult. And there was a period of doubt, there, like a massive. And there's all, there is, sort of, sometimes, all over the place, a little bit of doubt in there. But there, I think two or three years ago, one of the things that was like this moment of... of of utter grace. And it was, it was this phrase. God has a hold of you. And, and that's a phrase that I need to be reminded of all the time. That God has a hold of you. God's got you. Because there are so many times in life when we live between the already and the not yet, right? If you've heard that phrase between what's already been done in Jesus and that future that's spoken of in Revelation. And it's hard to think about how to make sense of this. How to make sense of your doubt. How to make sense that you wish you were further along than you actually are. That you wish you were a better person than you once were. You just need to get rid of these doubts because surely that just means that you're not trusting God enough or you don't believe or um, you might not be in. Or you're thinking about your life and, and you've connected yourself to Jesus, but you're also thinking, but there are other people who suggest I shouldn't be a part of this for whatever reason. But here's the truth of your life. If your life is hidden with Christ and God, is God has hold of you. I don't know where you are in your story or in your journey with God, but here's where I know where God is, holding you up. He's got you. He, he, you might think you've run away, but guess what? You can't. <laughs> and I think that's the good news of the gospel, is that God's got you. The journey of the Christian life is a yes to God and a no to the other things that promise you life. And I wonder, I wonder if God is calling you this morning if you haven't said yes to him to make that decision today.
to say yes to God and no to the other things that, that give you life. If you've said that yes, and you're journeying with God in life, I wonder if God is wanting to remind you that he has you. That he loves you. That he will make all things new, and that is your future too. The journey of the Christian life is one in which we cry out, deliver me, O God, but we move to praise. And my hope is that we would be like those in Revelation 5 who can't help but cry out to Jesus Christ because of what God has done through him. And here is the song that I will end with. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen.